You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Welcome to Historical Blindness, the Odd Past podcast. I'm the creator, writer, and host of the program, Nathaniel Lloyd. I'd like to take a moment once again to thank our contributor on Patreon, Mary, as her reply on a patrons-only poll has led to this episode being something of a departure from our usual fare. In this episode, we'll take a look at a story that, while certainly mysterious and certainly historical, leans somewhat more toward legend and the supernatural. As such, the sources I've had to rely upon have been spare and rather less credible than I would like. But this is the nature of stories like these. And indeed, like the old classic show Unsolved Mysteries, and like much of the more popular programming on the History Channel, this podcast may occasionally dip its toes into the murky waters of the paranormal, just as it may sometimes enter the realm of true crime and politics. Be assured, however, that the central theme of scrutinizing the blind spots in our past shall remain intact. If you would like to take part in polls that may determine the topics this show covers and the direction the podcast takes, head over to patreon.com slash historicalblindness and check out our rewards. The subject of this episode actually came up in our series on Kaspar Hauser, foundling of Nuremberg, wild boy of Bavaria, and child of Europe. In the second part of that series, I explored the theory that Hauser had been a crown prince of the Grand Duchy of Baden, stolen from his nursery and swapped out with a sickly babe by an evil second wife of his great-grandfather. This woman, Countess Hochberg, according to the legend as told in multiple sources, dressed in white in order to impersonate a famous ghost whose appearance was known for presaging the deaths of princes. Thus, she is said to have frightened away any who might have questioned her presence in the nursery and witnessed Hauser's abduction and replacement with a changeling. I reported, based on the sources associated with Hauser's story in which I had found the detail, that this spirit was called the White Lady of Baden, and to be certain, I was intrigued by this story. However, as I looked further into the story and began to entertain the idea of focusing an entire episode on the legend and its origins, I realized that my sources were in error, at least in a way. For every source I have been able to find on the White Lady records her appearances in the Old Schloss, the city palace in Berlin, which is indeed far from Baden. However, as I investigated the tales behind the story of the Weisse Frau, the White Lady of the Old Schloss, I found that this apparition was identified not only with the Berlin Palace, but also through her supposed origins with other White Lady legends, apparitions that were supposed to have resided in various other locations throughout Germany, 
Therefore, as a retraction and mea culpa of sorts, I am happy to present Episode 9, The White Ladies of German Lore. The Berlin Stadtschloss, or City Palace, began as a fortification on the Spree River, built by Frederick II, Hohenzollern Elector of Brandenburg, in the mid-15th century, with part of a city wall integrated on its eastern side. The palace served as the winter home of the Hohenzollern family for three centuries thereafter and became the hub of government and society. Successive monarchs renovated and expanded the palace, adding new wings until it became something of a hodgepodge old pile. But nevertheless, it remained a symbol of government and power well into the 20th century. Listeners may recall that the old palace was one of the landmarks that Marinus van der Lubbe had tried to set on fire before succeeding in burning the Reichstag. It was something of a hulking and rambling monstrosity, especially in its heyday, with 600 lushly furnished rooms, grand gala suites and banquet chambers, all connected by great pillared halls lined with frescoes and sculptures, to say nothing of the sumptuous royal apartments and throne room. And then there is the dark tower, with its onion cupola plated in copper that after tarnishing earned it the name the Green Hat, where Frederick II, nicknamed the Iron Tooth, is said to have gravely conducted traitors to the Iron Maiden, silencing their screams when he shut them up inside. Such a palace, as it slipped slowly into disuse and decrepitude, can be imagined as the very model of a haunted castle. And indeed, a specter was seen there quite frequently. One of the earliest records of people claiming to have seen the spirit comes from just before the turn of the 17th century, in 1598, when another Hohenzollern elector of Brandenburg, Johann Georg, lay dying. And thus the legend that this apparition foretold the imminent doom of Hohenzollern princes was established. Such was the pervasion of this legend that before elector Johann Sigismund's death, some 20 years later, he asked the chaplain of his court more than once if the spirit had been seen. We know from the chaplain's own writings that the existence of the spirit was not a matter of debate, as it had been seen so many times, quote, by individuals of all ages and conditions, end quote. Rather, the real questions were of the disposition and intentions of the spirit. The chaplain believed the apparition, which appeared as an ethereal woman in a white dress, to be benevolent, as its presence provided a warning to princes of their looming demise. And indeed, the white lady had been spotted by a page in the days before Johann Sigismund's death, in a corridor near the Tower of the Green Hat, where it is traditionally held that the spirit resides in some hidden room. This page, it is said, upon catching sight of the spectral woman, tried to make a pass at her, attempting to snake an arm around her waist, while saying, quote, lovely mask, where goest, end quote. His arm passed through her as through a fog, and the spirit raised one of the keys she was said to carry, which keys some suggested she used to enter any room in the palace, and tapped him on the forehead with it. 
The page shared his story with whoever would listen, and as the legend goes, he grew pale and slender and more feminine with age, he who had once been a masculine and ruddy sort of fellow. It was reported that, as this went on, his steps began to make less and less noise, until the transformation seemed complete, and he flowed about like a very ghost, frightening women who mistook him for the White Lady. Upon his death, the legend says that only a sack of bleached bones were found in his bed. Thereafter, the ghost was seen by another man of the cloth in 1628, when she is reported to have uttered a statement in Latin, Vini judica vivos et mortuos, which translates to, I have come to judge the living and the dead. Then she appeared in the mid to late 1600s, prior to the death of Anna Sophia, Duchess of Brunswick, and before the death of Elizabeth Charlotte of the Palatinate, mother of reigning Elector of Brandenburg, Friedrich Wilhelm. During the latter of these appearances, it is recorded that she was witnessed by a courtier named Kurt von Bergsdorf, who had earlier expressed a general disbelief in the spirit's existence, suggesting that he would have to lay his own eyes on her to give credence to such tales. One night, after the Elector had retired to bed, Bergsdorf saw the spirit upon the back stairs leading to the garden, and he cursed her, asking if her thirst for the princely blood of Prussia had not already been slaked. In reply, the White Lady is said to have thrown him down the stairs, making such a noise as to wake the Elector from his slumber. Some years after that, in 1667, Another report of the White Lady being seen in the very bedchamber of Electress Louise Henrietta. In this instance, the Electress herself saw the apparition sitting in a chair and writing, whereupon the White Lady rose, bowed, and disappeared. Then, sure as night follows day, not long after this encounter, Electress Louise Henrietta of Nassau passed away. And so it went throughout the years. In 1678, Erdmann Philip, Margrave of Brandenburg, found the White Lady sitting in an armchair in his bedchamber, and thereafter he died of injuries sustained on the race course when his horse fell. Then she was seen several times in 1688, the year in which the great elector Friedrich Wilhelm died, and was in fact seen the very day of his death by the court chaplain at the exact time of the elector's passing. And then on to Friedrich Wilhelm's son, Friedrich I, king in Prussia, who was supposedly woken in the night by the White Lady, who parted the hanging fabric over his bed to give him a good look at her, and then drifted into the adjoining room to make a great clamor of crashing dishes, like a very poltergeist. Friedrich I is said to have ordered a coffin made the very next day, and promptly died that evening. However, another version of this story suggests he did not see the White Lady at all, Rather, it is said that his jealous wife, Sophia Luisa of Mecklenburg, believed the king had a beautiful young countess in his bedchamber, and in the middle of having her hair powdered, she flew into a rage and ran down a corridor with a sheet around her, leaping through a glass door to enter the king's chamber. Upon waking to see this bloody, powdered figure in a bedsheet, he fell in a fit, crying that he had seen the white lady and was surely lost. Despite being told the truth, he came down with a fever and perished. Therefore, even if this were not a genuine apparition, still a white lady appeared to him, portending his demise, 
just as would be the case with his son, Friedrich Wilhelm I, known as the Soldier King, who legend says saw the spirit while drinking a bowl of beer and, coughing, set the bowl down, said merely, quote, well, we must be going, end quote, and died of what has been termed, quote unquote, alcoholic degeneracy that very night. Whether a true ghost or some other figure wearing the guise of the shade, as the Countess Hochberg is said to have done when kidnapping Kaspar Hauser, it seems that even just the belief that one had seen the White Lady was enough to send a healthy prince into the grave. The Soldier King's son, Frederick the Great, however, was not a believer. Out of bravado or overcompensation, he openly scoffed at the notion that the White Lady was real, even though popular wisdom told him that his forefathers had all seen her. But he may have been far more obsessed with the tale than he let on. Apparently, he took the time to paint a picture of the White Lady, which he gave to his sister. And once, with the writer and philosopher Voltaire, with whom the king had formed an affectionate and mutually flattering, though short-lived, friendship, he went on a midnight hunt for the ghost, holding candles aloft as they traipsed through the old Schloss's many darkened rooms. At one point, when Frederick took a corner and lost Voltaire, it's said that the atheist intellectual and dandy, perhaps jumpy from his legendary overconsumption of coffee, went quite mad with fear, dashing across rooms and upsetting furniture and other things in his terror. Some sources say that Frederick the Great himself never saw the White Lady, despite his preoccupation with her. However, shortly before his death, his queen and her entire household claimed to have seen the apparition looking out from a turret of the old Schloss. And other sources contend that, eventually, Frederick the Great saw her after all, though not in Berlin. Rather, he saw her at his summer palace in Potsdam, striding through his library without sparing him a glance. It cannot be said that he feared her, or at least that he couldn't overcome his fear of her, for he bravely followed her, finding her always across the room and entering the next, far from his reach, although she turned and beckoned to him. He died soon afterward in the same library in which he had seen her, and it is reported that he passed while looking intently at something or someone in the corner, invisible to all save him. It may seem strange that the spirit would appear beyond the walls of the Schloss, but actually sightings of the phantom appear not to have been bound to the Berlin city palace. She is supposed to have appeared to a Hohenzollern count at Hohenzollern Castle in the Swabian Alps during its siege by the free cities of Württemberg, pacing the ramparts, wringing her hands and sobbing, heralding the impending loss of the beleaguered stronghold. Here again, a story has the Hohenzollern Count's wife disguising herself as the White Lady in order to leave the castle unmolested during its siege and thereby resupply its stores of ammunition. So perhaps some sightings of the White Lady beyond Berlin were actually those of impostors in costume. The tales of the White Lady showing herself beyond Berlin are numerous, however, including appearances in Schalksburg, Plossenburg, and Ansbach. And when we consider the origins of the legend and try to pin down who the White Lady may have been in life, 
who her quote-unquote original was, so to speak, we begin to see that the spirit was rather well-traveled. Or in fact, there may have been more than one white lady in Germany. What really happened on the unsinkable Titanic? What made the 1904 St. Louis Marathon the strangest event in Olympic history? Whatever became of missing boy Bobby Dunbar? And who was the child who returned in his place? If these questions interest you, check out the History Uncovered podcast, brought to you by the digital publisher of All That's Interesting. History Uncovered explores the strange and obscure parts of history that you definitely didn't learn about in school. Hosted by the writers and editors of All That's Interesting, the show covers a wide variety of topics, ranging from the forgotten media spectacle of cave explorer Floyd Collins' death, to the disappearance and possible cannibalization of Michael Rockefeller, to the true story that inspired The Exorcist. With more than 100 episodes, you're bound to find that they've covered a topic that's especially interesting to you. And each month, they produce a special History Happy Hour episode, examining recent news in the fields of world history and archaeology, and commemorating important historical anniversaries. Come explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past by listening to History Uncovered, wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. The most common account holds that the white lady is the ghost of one Agnes, Countess of Orlamunda who bore Count Otto of Orlamund two children before his death in the mid-14th century. Thereafter, Agnes is said to have fallen madly in love with a younger man, Albert the Handsome of the Hohenzollerns, Burgrave of Nuremberg. When she confessed her feelings, Albert supposedly told her that he would marry her, but for the fact that there were, quote-unquote, four eyes watching him, standing in the way. According to the story, Albert meant his parents, who disapproved of their marriage. But Agnes believed he meant her two children. And in order to remove this impediment, she murdered them both by driving a golden needle into their brains through their ears. Some versions of this story vary, asserting that her weapon was not a golden needle, but rather a silver hairpin or a spinning needle. And some suggest that after Albert discovered her horrific crime and rejected her, she went mad and killed herself, while others follow her journey of redemption to Rome and thereafter to Himmelskron, where she supposedly founded a convent and died there as its abbess. 
While the story of Agnes of Orlamunda may provide a perfect backstory for the spirit, it is problematic, historically speaking, as it appears Otto of Orlamunda's wife was named Beatrix. It may be that this figure has been confused with or is a corrupted version of one Kunigunda of the Landgraves of Leuchtenberg, who married a subsequent Otto of Orlamunda. And though she did not found it, she certainly contributed to the convent of Himmelskron in the form of an endowment. History may not have recorded the murder of Kunigunda's children, but popular legend says she likewise killed her son and daughter with a silver hairpin. In the mid-15th century, we find another likely suspect in the form of Perchta, or often, alternately, Bertha von Rosenberg, who was cruelly mistreated by her husband, John von Lichtenstein of Steiermark. After his death, she moved to Neuhaus in Westphalia, where she had a castle built for herself. For the rest of her life, she was known to wear only white out of mourning, such that even in her portraits, she appears remarkably similar to the white lady, in a white gown and white veil, carrying roses and a ring of keys, both of which are known to be items the white lady has been seen to carry. The spirit of Bertha von Rosenberg was first known to haunt her castle at Neuhaus, but she is said to haunt other locales as well, wherever her family had settled or expanded. As the Rosenbergs had married into the Hohenzollerns as well as the royal families of Hesse and Baden, this means she has been seen across many German regions and principalities, from Berlin to Bavaria and elsewhere, which appears to explain the misnomer of the White Lady of Baden used by some authors when discussing the story's intersection with that of Kaspar Hauser. And indeed, it seems some surviving accounts confuse Bertha von Rosenberg with Agnes or Kunigunda of Orlamunda, suggesting that after she was widowed, it was she who killed her children to win the love of Albert the Handsome, and that she afterward threw herself from a window of her castle at Newhouse. Further confusing the origins of the White Lady legend, and particularly its association with Bertha von Rosenberg, is the historical presence of another Bertha, a Hohenzollern, who married Rudolf II of Burgundy and was depicted on the throne with a spindle rather than a scepter. And another Bertha, commonly called the Goosefoot Queen, who reigned as Queen of the Franks with her husband, Pepin the Short, and who was said to have had a broad and flat foot as a result of her constant peddling of a spinning wheel. These real Berthas appear to have been identified with a figure from Swabian folklore, Bertha the Spinner, who was said to carry a spindle and stomp her flat foot in anger when displeased. Indeed, the legend of Bertha the Spinner itself may have been the inspiration of the White Lady, as she is said to wear white robes. Moreover, she comes forth at Christmas time to reward or punish children according to their behavior, like Santa Claus. But considering the fact that she wields a spindle when she comes for the children, it is not hard to discern some intersection here with the legends about Agnes or Kunigunda of Orlamunda, for it must be remembered that in some versions of their tale, she killed her children with a spindle. And just to give some idea of how these legends continue to spiderweb in every direction, these historical Berthas 
and this legendary goose-footed spinner, in addition to being comparable to the figure of Jolly St. Nicholas, also may have been the origin of Mother Goose. A century later, in the mid-1500s, we find another couple of figures commonly identified with the White Lady, both being women who were ill-used by Joachim II, Elector of Brandenburg. Joachim II is known to have greatly expanded the old Schloss of Berlin during his time, which necessitated that he purchase some of the buildings around it, and one story suggests that he turned a certain old woman out into the street when she refused to sell him her house. This version suggests it is this old woman who has haunted his descendants ever since. The other version of the story suggests that the White Lady is actually one Anna Sidow, the widow of a gunmaker who was beautiful enough to draw the Elector's attentions. According to one source, whether by expanding the palace or by showering his mistress with extravagances, Joachim II went broke and ended up seeking the help of an alchemist called Philoponus Philaretus, who promised to make the Elector 300 million gold coins using only one small grain of the Philosopher's Stone. Like many of the sources I've been able to find for this episode, most of which vary in their details or contradict one another, and which I have tried dutifully to document in the blog entry, this tale of a mysterious alchemist, which of course intrigued me, could not be substantiated at all. The name appears to correspond with pseudonymous characters Robert Boyle later used in his writings, so it's possible that they were common names in the lore of alchemy, or even commonly used as aliases among confidence men posing as alchemists. The latter seems to agree most with the story which says that Joachim II died suddenly without seeing the windfall promised to him by the alchemist, who promptly disappeared. Before the elector died, he made his son promise to take care of his mistress, Anna Sidow. But his son either broke his promise or interpreted his obligation oddly, for he immediately locked her up in a tower at Spandau, where she languished until her death. Thus, it is said that Anna Sidow haunts not only Spandau, but also every residence of the family of her beloved. The elector's son, it should be noted, was none other than Johann Georg, mentioned earlier as one of the first Hohenzollerns to have his death foretold by the White Lady's appearance. However, some have suggested that Anna Sidow could not have been the White Lady, as she is said to have seen the spectre herself as had her beloved Joachim II, indicating that the spirit existed long before her imprisonment and death. And indeed, the stories of the White Lady may derive from legends and folklore with an even longer history than any I have so far mentioned, stretching back all the way to Norse mythology and the Nibelungen Lay, a pre-Christian epic poem featuring dragons and a mystical treasure. For a very similar apparition, robed in white, is said to haunt the rocky Swabian hills, carrying roses and tapping her magical keys against rock faces to open hidden doors and give glimpses of the long-vanished Nibelungen treasure, and tracing even further back into the pre-Christian Norse mythology from which the Nibelungen lay was derived, we find a goddess named variously Freya or Frigga, and significantly enough, in ancient Germanic tradition, called Bertha. The Bride of Odin, Bertha is described as white-robed, a bringer of life and death, 
and called by some the Ancestress, as she is thought to be the forerunner of all Germanic nobility and royalty. To further tie her back to the White Lady legend, this Freya-slash-Bertha goddess was conflated or syncretistically combined with Bertha the Goosefoot and Spinner, in that some parts of Germany celebrate Berchtentag, or Bertha's Day, by eating the food considered sacred to the goddess Freya, and praising geese and all other white things as sacred. And there may also be some confusion or conflation of the many Berthas already mentioned with the Teutonic goddess Perchta, goddess of the moon and bringer of winter, who is depicted as a widow bemoaning the loss of her late husband, the sun. Her children are the flowers in the field and the foliage in the trees, which she slays with another kind of silver needle, an icicle. Whether the White Lady of the Old Schloss of Berlin is in fact a goddess, or whether she is the spirit of a once-living woman, or as has been suggested before, an entire line of women who have been doomed to haunt the Hohenzollerns, or whether she is a simple myth perpetuated by the mistaken, the playful, and the dishonest, it is certain that sightings of her continued well into the late modern period haunting every royal German family throughout every region of Germany. In the late 18th century, she seems to have moved out of her comfort zone, haunting others besides the great families of Germany, as France's King Louis XVI, while being held for trial during the revolution that overthrew his rule, apparently asked those around him if they had seen the White Lady, explaining that she appeared when princes of his house were about to die. And in 1812, during the French occupation of the palace at Beirut, she is said to have thrown over the bed of Napoleon Bonaparte and tried to strangle him. Perhaps the most recent report of the White Lady has her appearing to foretell the death of an Austro-Hungarian of the Habsburg Lorraines and in the process ushering in the doom of a generation, as she is rumored to have appeared in 1914 before the assassination of Archduke Francis Ferdinand and the commencement of the Great War, a conflict that would result in the abdication of the last Hohenzollern Emperor, Wilhelm II. Granted, ghost stories are not history, but they often have a historical inspiration. When wading through such muddied historical context as this, with persons who may not have existed and figures who have been confused and combined in memory, who have been mixed up and mythologized, we again see the weakness in our records of history, the blind spots in our recollection of the past. One might even imagine that the White Lady of Ferdinand Freiligrath's poem, she who, quote, attired in white appears, with mourning and with wailing, with tremors and with tears, end quote, is speaking of our historical blindness when she chastises us, saying, quote, You note them not, you blindly face the hosts of hate and fate. Alas, your eyes will open soon, too soon, yet all too late. End quote. Thanks for listening to Historical Blindness, the Odd Past podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we need your help. Share the show with others and follow us on social media. Give us a great review on iTunes, which is so helpful for a podcast's success. 
To contribute to the show, check out my novel on Amazon, Manuscript Found, which tells the story of Joseph Smith's outrageous establishment of the Mormon religion, weaving in the related tale of a Masonic outrage that helped shape American politics. Find the link to the book on the website at historicalblindness.com books. Or you can support us directly by donating at historicalblindness.com donate, where you'll find a link to our Patreon page, and you can get teasers and early access to episodes as well as other rewards if you pledge a minuscule monthly donation to the show. I want to end this episode with another podcast recommendation. Check out Confluence of Events, a history podcast with a bit of true crime thrown in. The show is like joining in on a great conversation with a group of clever and well-informed friends. Listen to the end of the episode for a special message from the Confluence of Events podcast. Until next time, look hard at everyone you encounter, for some of them may be phantoms. Hey, I'm Nick. I'm Carlo. I'm Dan. And this is Alex. We're Confluence of Events. We're a new podcast about history, and we tell jokes. It's funny. Listen. Hey, hero from history and legend, Tom the Tinker, tell us about the podcast. Oh, I'm here. Hi, everybody. Poor Tom the Tinker just coming in town to tell you about <laughs> Confluence of Events. You know, it's a good podcast, and if you don't listen to it, well, hmm, I might just have to kill your family. <laughs> <laughs> Confluence of Events. Tune in. Intro. Was, was that re- properly recorded? Do you got what you need? Twenty minutes of recorded audio. <laughs> <laughs>